0: Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. This week, the Public School Forum of North Carolina that presents this show each week released a new study detailing a growing gap in public school funding between the highest and lowest wealth counties in the state. Now, these funding disparities have a real impact on education, including the ability of lower-wealth counties to fund supplemental pay to attract and retain teachers. This week on the show, we're going to talk to the study's lead, Lauren Fox, plus two top North Carolina school superintendents about funding challenges that affect educational opportunity in their communities. Before we tackle our main topic, we open with our headlines, our quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. Lawmakers keep adding money for North Carolina's private school voucher program, even though it's not spending the money it already has. The North Carolina Opportunity Scholarship Program was funded at $44.8 million in 2017-2018, and lawmakers approved adding $10 million in recurring funding each year until it reaches $144.8 million. But the program has left more than $17 million unspent since 2014, and that figure is growing. At least one senior Republican legislator, Representative Craig Horn of Union County, says it's time to right-size the program and focus on other priorities. Speaking of Representative Horn, he is one of several key legislators, including Representative Linda Johnson, who are backing a new bill that would grant all school districts statewide the flexibility to change their school calendars based on local needs, such as alignment with partner community colleges. Under current state law, Schools can start no earlier than the Monday closest to August 26th and end no later than the Friday closest to June 11th. The Senate has long opposed changes in the face of well funded opposition from the state's travel and tourism lobby. Last week was the grim one year anniversary of the school shooting in Parkland, Florida, that claimed 17 lives. As the nation marked the anniversary, some North Carolina legislative leaders are pitching a series of proposed laws that they say will make schools and students safer. Four different bills were filed last week that include measures such as increasing funding for school resource officers and mental health personnel. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. Now, as I said at the top of the show, we've got a, our first guest is going to be Lauren Fox with the Public School Forum of North Carolina. The forum released its local school finance study this week, had a briefing for legislators about um, what you found. So, thanks sure. for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So, first of all, just I guess tell our viewers exactly what the report in this study is and sort of why the Public School Forum has been working on it.
1: Sure. So we've been releasing um, this study for about 30 years now. And the purpose of the study is to isolate local spending on education from state and federal spending. And this really gives us an idea of the differences across the state and how much schools or districts are able to allocate towards public education.
0: Right. And, you know, we talk about a lot on the show about who the responsibility is. I think we, I'm sure we've repeated mm-hmm. on the show before that the state has the primary responsibility um, not only constitutionally, but they do. Right. I mean, they actually are the biggest funder. Hey, we can pull up, but we've got a graphic we're gonna pull mm-hmm. up on the screen that shows the source of funds for schools in North Carolina. Right. But but talk about why, like why, you know, you mentioned isolating local spending. Talk mm-hmm. about this number here.
1: So this graph is showing us how much uh, state, federal, and local dollars went to funding specifically instructional expenses. And local districts are actually contributing about 24% of funding for these expenses including personnel and materials and supplies
0: okay now so that's a little you said personnel now that's mm-hmm. um that's a little different than I think um, probably a lot of our viewers hear us talking about or maybe in their mind they think the state pays for teachers and mm-hmm. and you know textbooks and computers, right. but the the locals are only responsible for the buildings. That's not really true anymore, is it?
1: It's not true at all. In fact, um, local school systems paid for about over six thousand um, teaching positions last year.
0: And, and 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 what other kind of positions get funded like that?
1: Teaching assistants, principals, assistant principals, instructional support.
0: Right. So I mean, yeah. this is when really these are pretty significant you know, parts of what makes sort of a, a school what it is. Exactly. And, and so, understanding that amount of money that is spent by the locals and what it's for, mm-hmm. um, talk to me about how the differences in local support sort of look across North Carolina.
1: So there are massive differences in terms of what local districts are able to provide in terms of spending. So um, we have one chart. Yeah, I
0: think we have chart on number two about mm-hmm. county-level spending.
1: So this shows uh, the disparity between the 10 wealthiest or 10 highest spending counties in North Carolina and the 10 lowest spending counties. So you can see that the 10 wealthiest spent about $3,200 per student in local dollars, while the 10 lowest spending spent about $755. So that just results in really different um, opportunities that they can provide to their their students. So
0: so if a a family of parents sees this chart and then they're just in their own experience in their public schools, they may already have a sense of this, but there is a difference, Mm -hmm. a tangible difference in sort of what's happening in, say, you know, a, a Cumberland County where I'm from right. or a Duplin County where my wife's from right. uh, versus, say, a Wake County.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And one of those differences is that in districts like Wake County um, or other wealthier districts, they're able to offer uh, supplemental funding to pay teachers, which means that they can attract and retain higher qualified and more experienced teachers. Is that
0: a significant amount?
1: It is, Way County in fact um, was able to offer a salary supplement of about $8,000 um, to go on top of of already existing teacher salaries in 2017 and some districts across the state don't even have a supplement at all.
0: All right, so you mentioned the forum's been studying this uh, uh, local uh, school finance for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. What are the trends? We've got, I think we've got a chart to talk about that. Yes,
1: so there's a, a massively widening spending gap um, that in part is due to a, also a widening real estate uh, wealth gap. So we've seen a huge um, increase in the disparity across the wealthiest and lowest wealth districts in the past about 20 or so years, and that gap has also been increasing since 2011.
0: Right. So yeah, we're looking at the, uh, I think we still have that on, No, we don't have it on the screen, but we can pull that back up, but that widening, so we were really looking at when uh, when the, the forum first started looking at it, mm-hmm. there really wasn't a significant right. gap. Right. Um, This report, um, I would think um, that lawmakers and others who Mm -hmm. are involved in school funding um, would see this and wanna make some changes. Has Mm -hmm. that happened?
1: Well, our report has been used um, by the state to see that there's a need for low wealth and small county supplemental funding, which has helped to bridge the gap a bit. But as we've learned in this study, it's not doing enough. So we've seen a need for more support.
0: Well, we mentioned the, um, I threw out a couple of counties just from a family connection, but we've got another chart that, to me, this one is the one that always kind of blows yes. my mind. Right. And, and I've always got to point out to my, my, my friends in, uh, over in Orange County and Chapel Hill, Carborough in Orange County Schools, mm-hmm. they would tell you they're not overfunded either, no. but this is really a comparison, but tell us about this chart.
1: So looking at this chart, we can see that Orange County, um, in terms of local spending, allocates over $5,000 per student um, from local dollars to fund education. And that's greater than if you add the seven lowest spending counties together, $396 more than the seven lowest spending counties added together.
0: You mentioned teacher supplemental pay, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's um, I mean, that's important. I mean, in fact, I, th- uh, I think our viewers already know this, but that dollar figure actually gets incorporated into the average teacher pay figures that we are touting right. all the time. So when we talk about we're averaging $50,000, mm-hmm. part of the reason why that is is because Wake County and Charlotte-Mecklenburg mm-hmm. County are adding another six dollars or $8,000 on right.
1: top of that. Right, and up. there are a lot of teachers in those districts, so it can really skew what that average teacher salary looks like. Yeah,
0: I think I heard you yesterday um, or this week when you were presenting to legislators talking about how many Districts actually fall. How I many counties actually fall below the average? But again, gets in this mm-hmm. whole thing about, you know, you can you can make um, sort of averages sort of can can make things kind of skewed.
1: Right, and this is when we're talking about real estate wealth, which is where local districts um, get the dollars to fund education. Three quarters of districts in the state fall below the national average in terms of real estate wealth available per child. So sure. it's really. Um, we're really seeing a lot of districts that aren't able to keep up with the wealthiest districts in the state
0: all right well just we we mentioned teacher supplemental pay but Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about as we sort of you know get near the end what else what are those and we're going to talk to some superintendents in a minute they Mm -hmm. can really tell us what's going on but tell me what else is being used for that local funding besides um, Mm -hmm. teacher supplemental pay and sort of where the differences show up
1: well we For this year in the study, we talked to superintendents and um, finance officers across the state. And what we've learned is local dollars are the most flexible dollars that uh, these districts have. So this is what they're using to pay for uh, facilities. That's the role of the local uh, dollars. But they're also having to pay for supplies, materials, and like we said, the teacher salary supplements. Um, So they're really feeling stretched because a lot of these districts don't have that funding. To provide these resources. does it af-
0: does it affect things like the um, the courses that are available
1: absolutely so we've seen that in these um, lower wealth districts there's a lack of diversity of courses including advanced courses like AP and IB classes so that really leads to different educational opportunities for students as they're you know preparing to go to college and careers
0: which I guess is the whole point of this as this report really absolutely. is to sort of point out that like we I think as a state, we, we want to be as equitable and equal as possible mm-hmm. so that your zip code doesn't um, dictate your educational opportunities. So right. um, thank you for explaining this. It's, um, um, it's sobering, but it's also real. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's good to hear that. We're gonna, we're gonna transition now. We're gonna talk to a couple of superintendents and get a little bit more feedback from them on mm-hmm. how it plays out there. But thanks, Lauren, for thanks being here. Thanks for having off. me. When we come back, we're gonna be joined by the superintendent of Edgecombe County Schools and New Hanover County Schools. Stick around. Asian Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm, I didn't give you a good lead into that question, but did you correctly guess A, 38%? Even though K-12 public education remains a large percentage of the state budget each year, it has declined from about 52% of the state budget to 38% of the budget last year. As we continue our discussion about local school funding, we are pleased to welcome two great school system leaders uh, who are here at Education Matters. Let me introduce you to them, and then we're gonna have a conversation. Dr. Valerie Bridges, she is the superintendent of Edgecombe County Schools. Welcome to Education Matters. Dr. Tim Markley, welcome back. You've been on the show as before. Tim is the uh, superintendent for New Hanover County Schools. Keith, good to be back. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, well, you just, um, uh, you heard um, uh, Lauren talking about local school finance, but you, this is, you live this. This is what you do. So, I mean, I want to start with you. Um, Dr. Bridge is the, um what are the biggest challenges, concerns in Edgecombe County, which is, for, for our viewers who don't know, I mean, I, to me, I think of Edgecombe is kind of like, that is Eastern North Carolina, I mean, that is, historically, that's kind of the place, unfortunately, it's also been sort of historically the place that has been hit so much with storms sure. and, and, and also chronic sort of poverty and things. but. Tell me about the biggest challenges you have in Edgecombe.
2: Okay. So some of the challenges with the funding formula that we have in North Carolina, um, just it's disparaging for high-need districts, and Edgecombe is a high-need district. Um, We've seen changes over the years with our reduction of TAs in the classroom, um, in the younger grade levels, um, loss of nurses, social workers, psychologists, um, several Staff members that help keep school running smoothly. Um, we've seen, of, of course, an increase in students with trauma, um, mental health issues, and needing that social emotional support. And not having those extra hands um, in the classroom in the school building is detrimental to us. So that that hurts us each year.
0: And so, and, the, and those kinds of positions, again, um, as we talked about with um, Ms. Fox, the um, I mean, the state is supposed to provide those instructional expenses. Completely. I mean, that's. Sure. I mean, the, the I mean, this isn't. This isn't. Keith post in Education Matters' opinion. This is the, the Supreme Court and the Constitution. But you're having to pick up a lot of slack. I shall ask you, Dr. Markham. <laughs> so this is the things that uh, Dr. Bridges just mentioned in New Hanover County. You're paying for a lot of things um, um, out of your local funds.
3: We're fortunate we have good county partners that will work with us, and we're in a and what's considered somewhat of a high wealth district. But those funds get stretched more and more every year we're adding if we want to do something innovative it has to be done with local funds Uh, the state has put more and more restrictions on what you can do with the funds that they give you we used to be able to use our AIG funds and service more students by moving some funds around that's the academically
0: gifted academically gifted
3: so we lock those funds in now and it's actually cost me six hundred thousand dollars that i have to pick up with local funds to service those same number of students
0: Okay. Are, you, are those the same kinds of things that you're seeing in Edgecombe?
2: Absolutely. Um, in Edgecombe, we, we're, again, high-need district, um, and those things are more impactful. And so our, as, as citizens, our Edgecombe County citizens are taxed at a higher rate. And a lot of the money is returned to us from our county commissioners. Um, but it still has the impact that it has for our students it, is detrimental. It makes us, of course, have to work harder. Um, innovative needs, we have to be creative with how we can do things. Um, and so we have to just figure out ways to make some things work for students, But. At some point, there is a cost. There, there's a.
0: You you make it. You raise a great point, Mm -hmm. and and uh, for our viewers on it, that the the money, the local government money, comes from property taxes, which is completely driven by. And I think we've got a couple of charts we're going to pull up on the screen as we're talking. But there's a wide disparity in the the the, you know the property values. Well, I mean, well, Tim, you're in you're at the beach. I mean, you're so they're (laughs) they're be able to tax those nice places down at Riceville and all that. But you know, when you go to Edgecombe County. A, a penny, you know, increase in the property tax isn't going to make the kind of impact, um, and, and really, we see that across North Carolina.
2: Correct, and, and for me, um, professionally and personally, uh, grew up in Wake County, um, educated in Wake County, worked in Guilford County. So, as a parent and as a student, I certainly had those, the, the wealth of, of those counties. You know the difference. I know the difference. Um, then coming east. Um, as a principal, and um, I mean as a uh administrator at the central office level and assistant superintendent and a superintendent, I certainly know the difference between what happens and what's available to students and opportunities that won't be afforded on the eastern part of the state.
0: Dr. Martin, how long have you been a super? Uh,
3: 15 years, nine in oh. New
0: Hanover. Okay. What has I mean you mentioned flexibility, but I mean, what has changed over the last you know decade or so since you've been in this position? In addition to flexibility.
3: Um, the- well what I'm seeing is that those state dollars will impact have a huge impact on what I can do locally. When you increase retirement contributions, we're now as an employer paying 18% on top of the what the what the teacher pays their own six percent. So that's a million dollar a year hit sometimes when you've got a couple percentage increase and that has to come out of local. It's limited my ability to start some innovative and creative programs. I mean I'm fortunate to to have those dollars but they don't go nearly as far as we could. We've had to look at uh, fewer TAs in the classrooms just like the smaller districts. When you tell me that I've got uh, a class size cap, well, I have a school where 20 in the classroom is not bad, but that allows me in my high poverty schools to reduce class size. Now you tell me all of my classes gotta be a certain point, and so that's actually impacting some of those high poverty schools by driving up their class sizes as
0: well. I'm glad you brought up the class size. We 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 talked about that a lot on the show over the last year. There was a little bit of relief given, but it is it's still very much there. And look, when I want to find out what's going on in our school systems, I call people like you because I feel like that you are you're in the community. You know your schools, Tim. You and I've talked. You said, yeah. I know this school needs this and this school needs this. You know where you know every school where every leak is sure. and. Why do you think, or what do you? What is sort of the disconnect between the fact that you're you understand those things, yet your your hands are being tied um, in sort of the flexibility? Does, I mean, you have any any? I guess any solutions, any suggestions?
2: Um, so, big concern is facilities. Um, did a walkthrough this past week at, at one of our high schools with a maintenance director and walked through the building, and there were concerns. And he has his list of priorities, but he also has a list of. How much can I spend? And so he has to prioritize what should be done. When I look at the school going through, um, say, a locker room, going through different classrooms, auditorium, it's not okay for students. And so when you see that and, and you've been in Wake and Guilford, you know that it should be better in Edgecombe. It's, kids deserve better than that. And so we've got to work out a plan to do it. Um, but at some point, it's prioritizing. So there's a lot of patching and you keep going. Um, and, and that's just not how we want to do things. but when funding is not there, you don't have a lot of choice.
0: right let me ask you guys have been you, you understand the, the current funding system. you know there's some conversations around the state right now about possibly making big changes. So okay, you' uh, let's say you're in charge. you can make those decisions like what's working and like what would you what would you keep? what would you Fix.
3: There's some things that work. The, uh, the teacher allotment process that allows me to hire a teacher regardless of the years of experience is really good. I can bring in a 30 year t- veteran and put them into a classroom and that's a positional allotment. Where I struggle are when you give me a flat dollar amount and you try to make stretch those dollars and then tell me I can't use them in different categories. We're moving to digital learning and so I can't use textbook funds though for hardware to make that digital learning possible. There's no dedicated technology funding stream. And so I'm using bond dollars sometimes, which is long-term debt, to pay for an item that has a lifespan of 10 years.
0: So so you're saying, so you can't use textbook dollars to buy um, an iPad?
3: I can't use it to buy a computer or an iPad. I can buy the software and the pieces that go with it, but I can't buy the hardware that it
0: goes on. Right. Same, uh, so same question to you, what's working, what are you? What, what, sort of uh, is hamstringing? So
2: um, the transparency, the accountability portion of it is working, the teacher allotment portion is working. Um, facilities, I, I feel like for high-need districts, um, that there should be a funding formula for specifically for facilities, um, the making amendments to transfer funds as needed. Don't We don't mind being transparent. We don't mind having some checks and balances from the, you know, state. But being able to do that, because every school doesn't need the exact same thing, so being able to move things around, different pots of money, would be very helpful.
0: We know policymakers watch this program. What do you want them to know about Edgecombe County and about your needs?
2: Okay, so Edgecombe County, we're very innovative. We are um, using all of our brain power to move the needle for students. We want all of our students to have opportunities. We never want income or lack of income to impact what a student can be able to do. Um, and so if we could have some support with funding and the model, the formula for that changing, we'd be very grateful.
0: Last question, same one for you. What, um, what do lawmakers need to know about New Hanover County schools and about how our schools are funded? What should they be focused on?
3: Even in a small geographic county like ours, there's a diversity of schools. Schools at Carolina Beach don't look like schools in downtown Wilmington. So I need the flexibility to put those dollars where they do the best use for those students in those schools.
0: Great. Thank you both. I always like to, anytime we have an educator on, thank you for, for being in this profession and for what you do every day. We appreciate it. And Thanks for uh, sharing your insights about your communities. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. When we come back, this week's final word. The 2019 edition of the Public School Forum's Local School Finance Study confirms what's been building over the last two decades. Our poorest counties continue to fall further behind our wealthier counties. Young people born into one of the state's economically thriving counties, typically the more urban centers like here in Raleigh or in Charlotte, have levels of investment in their education that's not shared elsewhere in the state, especially our rural counties. We actually have a historic opportunity this year to address it if we seize it on behalf of our state students. At a briefing with state legislators this week, we shared a few recommendations. First, focus on both the adequacy and equity of statewide public school funding. We must go further than simply providing a more efficient way of distributing an inadequate amount of state funds to public schools in an inequitable manner. Two, we need to address school infrastructure. We have an estimated eight billion dollars in need. You heard Dr. Bridges mention it. When it comes to facility costs for public schools, there are two proposals on the table in the General Assembly, but frankly both are inadequate. Three, Streamline current complex allotment funding systems, but maintain key staffing ones that are critical for local districts to hire the best educators and school leaders. And then four, level the playing field when it comes to teacher recruitment. Let's help these low wealth counties like Edgecombe boost local teacher salary supplements to attract top talent. There's right now they are sometimes some of the best training grounds to lose their teachers to other counties. It won't be simple, and we'll need to guard against the inevitable unintended consequences, but the payoff could be enormous for our state. That's it for this week's show. Make sure you tune in next week. We have a special episode looking at the history of segregated schools and excellence in Wake County. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week.